Well, good morning. Kevin called me on Wednesday and asked if I could speak in light of his responsibilities for Lillian's funeral yesterday. And he said, you can just speak about whatever you're talking about at large group, because I speak every Friday night to the students. And I said, well, I'm talking about government and underage drinking. <laughs> and I was. We're going through First Peter, so we backed it up a few weeks, and I'm sharing with you perhaps something a little more pertinent. Um, Peter, in our text this morning, says that we are to grow up in our salvation. Uh, the Bible doesn't know anything of Christians who are merely saved. The expectation is that we would come to the Lord and then grow in our faith. Listen to Hebrews 5, 11 through 14. The author of Hebrews says, We have much to say about this, but it's hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, which is an interesting comment, that just lay people that are receiving this letter ought to be able to teach others, at least to baseline communicate what their faith is about. But this community, by this time you ought to be teachers, but you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. And anyone who lives on milk, still being an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. Solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. And then Peter tells us to grow up in our salvation. I've been a Christian for 35 years this December, and it's an interesting thought to ask ourselves, what, what does maturity look like for a Christian? Uh, it, it's probably a good thing that the Bible doesn't lay out at age 10 you should be this, and age 20 you ought to be that. We would become legalists and judge each other. Um, but there is still this expectation that we would mature, that we would grow. There's a whole group of students on campus committed to growth, not spiritual growth, uh, physical growth. Uh, they're called gym rats. Uh, these are the guys and girls who every free minute they are in the gym, and they are working out, they are growing, they are committed to gains. Um, they're trying to beat their personal records and trying to get huge physically. We have a few of them in the back of the room there. Um, and, and their physical growth, I'm going to take it and use it as a bit of a lens for us to look at our text in First Peter. Um, physical growth and spiritual growth have a, a bit of some commonality. You've got to have the genetics to do it. You have to exercise in a way that stretches you beyond your current place. And you have to have the right diet. And Peter's going to lean into these ideas that you have the righteousness of Christ. He actually makes a very weird statement. You have love for one another. Therefore, love. So love is our exercise. You have the nature you must exercise, and then at the end he's going to say, and there's a diet for you. Eat the Word of God. Eat His words. And these together, not some simple equation, not some mathematical thing, but lived out relationally with God and others, produces growth in us, spiritual growth. So, let's take a look at our text. First, genetics. Verse 22, if you've got your Bibles, feel free to open them up. 1 Peter 1, 22, we're just going to walk through the text. 
It says, now that you have purified yourself by obeying the truth, he's going to say this a couple times. He says, you have purified yourself. You have sincere love. You have been born again. Peter makes declarative statements about the nature of Christians. This tends to run contrary to the way we as Americans think about ourselves. We tend to think, I am what I do. I am what I think. I am what I feel. But Scripture takes a different approach. I'm not what I do. I am who God has declared me to be in Christ Jesus. And Peter says, you have love. In fact, you have purified yourself. You are right. You are righteous in Jesus Christ. You have these things, but they need to be lived out. They're yours. This isn't a fake it until you make it approach. This is a faith it until you make it approach. You have these things. Live out the reality that they are yours. I, you know, working with students, and I guess adults do this too. I guess Kevin could tell you. Uh, students make excuses all the time as to why they are the way they are. <clears throat> I'm just not a patient person. It's like, well, that's a lie. You are. In Christ, you're a patient person. I just like, I just like to tell the truth to people. It's like, oh, okay, well, in Christ, you know how to discern when to speak and when not to. Uh, in fact, in Second Peter, Peter goes so far as to say that you participate in the divine nature. You have God's DNA. So bear with me on this for a little bit. This is a stretch of an analogy. But, so I, I go to the gym frequently as well. I don't consider myself a gym rat, um, but I am gym faithful. Um, <laughs> and for decades, I would only lift upper body, you know, because that's, like, that's where you look good. Um, but gym fashion... I don't know if you knew there is such a thing, uh, but there is. Gym fashion and what you wear to the gym has shifted in the past five years. So what used to be that you could get away with wearing really long shorts to the gym, remember like in basketball in the 70s, they would wear those inappropriately short shorts, and then finally in the 80s, they got the long shorts. Well, for the longest time, long gym shorts were appropriate. Well, about five years ago, it shifted. And they got shorter and shorter and shorter. Inappropriate, again, 70s style, so high that I was like, man, I look out of place with my long shorts, but I hadn't been working out legs. And so I was a little embarrassed to wear the short shorts because that's why they were wearing these short shorts because all these guys are walking around like boom, boom, like thundering legs and showing off. Um, And I was like, dang it, I got to start working out. I got to start doing legs. Um, There's a little saying in the gym, you can't spell legendary without leg day. Um, and so I wanted to be legendary too. So I started doing leg day. And now again, this is a thin analogy, but bear with me for a second here. Did I have legs? I always had legs. They just weren't mature. They hadn't grown. They hadn't become strong. Why? I'd never exercised them. We're like that in our faith. Do you have love and peace and patience and kindness? You sure do. They're the fruits of the Spirit. You have the Spirit in you. But are you, to mix analogies, are you nurturing those seeds and growing them up so that they would bear forth fruit? You have love. is what Peter is saying. You have it. The question is, are you exercising it? And so he calls us 
to exercise it. And he tells us in verse 22 who we are to love and how we are to love. He says, love one another deeply from the heart. So who to love, in this instance, he's not saying love your neighbor, although we just heard that. Second, second great commandment is love your neighbor. He says, love each other. You need to love one another. And, and speaking of this, he's actually quoting Jesus. He's thinking back. He was there. Peter was in the upper room. John 13, Jesus washes the disciples' feet, and then he says, a new command I give you. See, the old command to love your neighbor, it's a good command, but it has a loophole in it. Ever picked up on that? Love your neighbor as yourself. The comedian John Stewart quipped, he says, love your neighbor as yourself, and if you hate yourself, then please, just leave your neighbors alone. See, the loophole is, and love your neighbor as yourself, it's subjective. Because if you don't know how to love yourself, you're not going to love your neighbor well. And Jesus says, a new command I give you, as I have loved you, so you ought to love one another. This command is objective. There's a measured reality to it, and that is self-suffering, loss of self for the good of others, for the redemption of others. And so Jesus raises the bar. And so this is what we are to do, love one another deeply. This is how we do it, deeply from the heart. Now that sounds a little sentimental through the Hallmark card perspective. I love you deeply from the heart. In the Greek, it's much more challenging that. The word deeply is the word, it's a word you know. You don't know you know it, but you know it. It's ektenos. E-K is where we get our word exit out of. Ek tenos, T-E-N-O-S, means to stretch. So we get our word tendon or tension. That's, there's a pulling that's happening. So we are to not just tenos, stretch, we are to stretch out. You are to extend yourself in loving each other. So I don't know about you, I tend to love pretty thinly, <laughs> ask me for some money, okay, I'll, I'll give my money. I support a compassion child, perhaps you guys do something like that as well. Daryl has been supporting him for years and years and years, and don't mind $38 a month, but as soon as you ask me, would you bring Daryl into your house and give time, attention, emotion, thought, prayer, care, responsibility? That's this stretched out love. And I think a lot of us, especially as adults, I don't have time. I'll give some money, but as soon as you start asking me of my time, my energy, my focus, my prayer, don't ask me to love us too much that way. That, that feels a little beyond me. And he says, you're supposed to do it from the heart. Again, this isn't emotion, this isn't hallmark. The concept of heart in Scripture is the idea of the core of you, or the whole of you. you. We would use the language, the heart of the matter is. If I'm trying to sum something up for you, and I would say the whole thing kind of put together is this, the heart of the matter is this, that's what this means. To love extend it from the whole of who you are is what you're to do with each other. A number of years ago, there were some students, they were sophomores, and they had found a house off campus that they were all going to live together in, and they had all signed the lease, collected their deposits, and one of the guys came to the group and said, I don't think I want to live with you anymore. Can I get my deposit back? 
Well, the other seven guys weren't too pleased with that. Not only did they feel emotionally betrayed by this guy backing out and wanting to live with other friends, they also felt financially on the hook because this guy wants his money back and we need to find somebody else to sign the lease and take his spot. And if we can't, then we're going to have to pay this guy's rent. So I'm having lunch with one of the guys who was staying in the house. And he was ranting. He wasn't pleased with this at all. And I understood that. Like, you know, who wants to pay somebody else's bill? And he was like just raging about how angry and upset he was. And he said, what should we do? And I was like, well, you know what you should do. What did, what did the Lord do for you when you had a debt and you had broken fellowship with him? I said, yeah, he, he paid for it. I was like, yeah. Now, look, you're in the right. You could keep this guy's money. You could hold him to it. But the fact of the matter is, God did not hold you to the demands of his own law and standard and said he paid it for you. So what is love in this circumstance? And he said, we got to give the money back. And I was like, yeah, that's right. He's like, I don't want to. I was like, I know. I was like, God, Jesus didn't want to die on the cross either. Um, and yet he did what love demanded. This is outstretched love. Loving from the whole that we're to do for our brothers and our sisters. In verse 1 of chapter 2, Peter goes on and he's hitting on some things that are actually the opposite of love, things that destroy love. He says, therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. If we're to grow, we need to not only do difficult things, we need to refrain from some other things that prevent us from being a loving people of God. The fact of the matter is, there's, when you start to get to know people in a community, you not only see areas of brokenness in their life, you start to experience areas of brokenness from these people, from being too close to them. You experience it in your family, marriage, but also in a church. People start stepping on each other's toes, and it's pretty easy to start to feel malice and a whole bunch of these other things towards each other. And in students' lives, they are masterful at being passive-aggressive. Um, they think that anger and expressing any form of anger is the least Christian thing they could possibly do. That's not the case. Um, and so instead, they just kind of, in anger and malice, withdraw from each other and then in subtle ways communicate that they don't want to talk to you, avoiding eye contact at the end of a gathering like our large group or like church like this. They'll avoid you to get around you, to walk out of the room. We had one guy, a guy I discipled, his name is Bob, um, he lived in a house with guys, and Bob is, uh, <laughs> Bob is a Marine now. He's very organized, orderly, responsible kind of a guy. There was another guy in the house, um, and I'm not trying to stereotype people here, but he was an artist, a musician, and uh, was not the most alert to his surroundings. And uh, His name was Josh, and Josh would always leave the lights on in his bedroom. Well, Bob didn't did not like this. He was like, I'm paying this bill. You need to turn your lights off. And Josh wouldn't do it, not because he was being stubborn, but because he was just a forgetful guy. And so Bob, to teach Josh a lesson, would take his light bulbs and throw them away. <laughs> so if Josh left his lights on, he would just unscrew them, take them, throw them away. And Josh never did his dishes either. And so what Bob would do is take Josh's dishes and put them, uh, put them on Josh. He hit, Josh had a loft, a bunk bed, and he would put them all the way up there in the back corner. So it wasn't until Josh got all the way up in his bed that he found the dirty dishes. That's what you call passive-aggressive. So I started working with Bob, 
started working with Bob on loving his housemates, extending himself a little bit. And I was like, well, why don't you maybe, if you want a clean house, why don't you serve? Why don't you clean the house for them? Why don't, why don't you lay your life down? And so he's like, all right, I'll, I'll do it. And so he would get up on Saturday morning, like early, 7 o'clock, marine early, you know, 7 o'clock, 6 o'clock. And he would do what I called rage clean. Uh, he would clean the house in such a way that everyone would be awoken by his cleaning so that they knew he was cleaning the house. <laughs> Dishes were being done in the noisy way. Vacuuming was happening. And, and this gets into us, doesn't it? Oh, I'll love you, but I'm going to let you know what a burden this is for me to love you. This is malice. Other things he lists in here, hypocrisy, hypocrisis. Uh, it's a word used in theater uh, to speak out from under. Hupo, under. Crisis is a, is a voice. Um, and so in theater, they would hold like a sad mask or a happy mask or, a, or an angry mask up, uh, and they would just read lines, and they would speak out from under a mask. And this is what hypocrisy is, that I, I appear to be a certain way, and I tell you something, but underneath I'm someone else. And when the church says to each other, I love you and I'm praying for you, are we? What does it look like to love extended? Not just to love, how does John say it in 1 John 3.18, let us not love with words or tongue, but with action and truth. We had a guy, <clears throat> his name was Jeremy, this is back in 2012. He was in a small group that I was leading, and he came to, he's normally a really happy guy, he was a junior, really happy guy, and he showed up to small group one evening, and he was just looking sad and distraught. I was like, Jeremy, what's wrong? He's like, Oh, I may have to drop out of school. I was like, well, why? He's like, I don't have, I don't, I can't afford the payments anymore. I was like, don't you have a loan? He's like, yeah, I have a loan. And, and he almost broke. He was sharing this in front of all the guys at this point. He said, um, my parents are in debt and they're about to lose the house. And they took my college loan to pay off their debts so they wouldn't lose the house. And he was angry at his parents. He basically said, my parents stole my money from me. Um, they never told him. They didn't ask him. And he was going to have to drop out of JMU until he could get enough money to pay. You know what our small group didn't say? We love you and we're praying for you. I said to our small group, I was like, guys, there was about 12 guys in the group. I was like, we need to step into this. Not only is there, and a whole bunch of stuff opened up between Jeremy and his family. There's some long, uh, long-standing issues within the family that we started to work through with him, but then we extended ourselves. We came alongside and said, guys, we need to pull from savings. We need to do what we can do to get Jeremy $5,000. We reached out to parents, our parents, um, and I think on average, the guys, guys gave about $400 each. These are college students. Jeremy got a job, and we helped him not only that semester, but the subsequent two semesters to get through school and to navigate the difficult stuff with his parents. That's extended love. That's non hypocrisy that is being who you're saying you're going to be. This is the kind of love Peter is calling us to. Non-slanderous love, the people that annoy us. Go around telling people that they need prayer. What do they need prayer for? Well, I'm glad you asked. Um, tell them about the prayer that and it's just a form of slander. Well, genetics, we have it. We have God's DNA, the capacity to love and to love well. 
needs to be exercised both through actively doing but also holding back from doing things we ought not do. And then lastly, diet. Like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the Word so that by it you may grow up. Eating words or eating Scripture may sound strange to you, but I'd like to suggest you do it almost all the time. People speak words to you of affirmation. Maybe people speak words about you that are critical. Maybe you just see a commercial on TV about the wrinkles on your face, and the next time you look in the mirror, you're like, oh, I got these wrinkles. Maybe I should buy that cream. What are you doing with those words? You're eating them up. You're taking them in and saying, this is what is true about me. Will I buy into their criticism? Will I buy into the words of affirmation? Will I buy into whatever is being sold to me by society? So we know how to eat words. The question is, whose words are you eating? In John 6, Jesus had a bunch of followers, disciples even, leaving him. And uh, he had been teaching about communion, eating flesh and drinking blood. And people are like, that sounds a little over the top. Don't know that we want to do that. And so disciples are leaving, and he turns to the twelve and says, do you want to leave too? And Peter, the guy who wrote this, he says, Lord, to whom else shall we turn? You alone have the words of life. There are no other words that I could take in that would actually grow me, mature me, make me, give me life, except for your words, Jesus. And Peter here is saying, eat the word of God. Consume it. Deuteronomy 32, 47, these are not just idle words for you. They are your life. It's my sophomore year. I forget what year that was, gosh, 93? I was uh, challenged to read the Bible in a year. So January of my sophomore year, I started. It was brutal. It was difficult. I would get behind weeks at a time, and I would just sit, and I would just do it. I would just read through it um, just to say that I had done it. Well, by the end of my uh, sophomore year, uh, into my first semester of my junior year, I got the Bible read. And then I said, you know, I need need to do this again. I just kind of did it but I want to like be in it. And I was like, I'm going to read the Bible again. My junior year, uh, starting in January, into my senior year, did it again. In fact, the beginning of my junior year, um, I was finding that I was having a hard time making time for the Word. And so I started getting up at 6 a.m. as a college student and said, I need to be in the Word of God. I need to know this Word. I need to take it in. And once I got through the Bible a number of times, I started focusing in and got into books like 1 Samuel and Romans and learned Galatians. And today... I still get up every morning. I don't say this to boast. I say this to challenge you. I know what it's like to be an adult with responsibilities and how hard it is to make time and space in your calendar, in your day, for the Word of God. But would you do it? These are the sweetest times that I have each day. To sit in the Word of God, that's not like it's magic, it doesn't happen every day, but this is where I really commune with the Lord so much so that I, there, there are days where I don't even want to get up from being in the Word of God. I'm just lingering in it, sitting in it, chewing on it, hearing God. There are times, true confession, that I'll skip church because I'm having such a good time with God in the morning before I come to church. I was like, I don't want to get up from this. So are you taking in the Word of God? Are you eating it? Are you consuming it? 
Would you make space in your calendar and your day? Would you sacrifice for it? Lastly, Peter says that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Y'all go to Costco? Y'all Costco members? Love Costco. I love Costco because I love the sample ladies. Because when I go into Costco, and if you're not a Costco member, there the, are these ladies and they give out free samples. And that alone is worth the membership. Um, and as soon as I get in that main aisle that goes to the back, I'm pushing my cart and I'm scanning and I'm looking for hairnets. Because I've been like Pavlovian conditioned to know when I see hairnet, there's food right there. And so, you know, I'm going around making my rounds and getting my little samples of everything. But, you know, they're giving you samples. They're giving you a taste because they want you to buy into the bigger thing. That's all I'm doing this morning. All I'm giving you this morning is a taste. If I were to be dressed appropriately this morning, I would have a hairnet on. Kevin would wear a hairnet and a collar. I don't know who to talk to about that, but that would be good. We're just giving you a taste of the Word. You need to take this word home with you. Look at 1 Peter 1, 22 through 2, 3 and say, Lord, speak. I need to eat this. I need to take this in, not just hear a word, walk out, go about my day and forget it. But Lord, how do I bring this into who I am so that it becomes what makes me? I have the DNA. I need to do the hard lifting of love but I also need to have the right diet that I'm taking into me your word so that I might become an overflow of all that this word actually is. Scripture knows nothing of a person who's merely saved. The expectation is that we would be growing, maturing, bearing forth the likeness of Jesus in the world, And that happens through difficult work of loving each other and taking in God in his word. 1 Timothy 4, 7. Train yourself to be godly. The word is gymnasio, like you're going to the gym. Train yourself to be godly. Physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Let me pray for us. Lord, I pray that um, you would lay before us, no matter how old we are, a vision for our maturity, a vision for growing, and that that would be done by grace, not by law, not by us having to do something. Thank you that we don't, and we can't. Um, But only by your grace can we grow. But Lord, would you help us to become more and more like Jesus in this world? that the world would see how we love one another and know that we're your disciples. Lord, that this church would draw people in, both in our words, but also in our being. Lord, we pray that you would be glorified in our living, our hearing of your word, and Lord, that you would move us to be a people who love well and grow into you. In your name we pray, Lord. Amen.